Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary Hardcore, episode number 28. Today's going to be a good one. We're going to talk about Roman Fritz. He is really, really interesting story on him, Mobster. He's on uh, your side of the pond over there in Central Europe, Germany. And, uh, you know, look, he's been, um, he's gone through a lot in his life. Um, you would have never thought, I think people looking back would have never thought this guy would ever be a... Um, talented bodybuilder later in life so he had to go through a lot growing up he also has had to deal with taking time off from the gym um completely and thinking his career was over and having people say that he had no chance it's uh really an incredible story so we're gonna talk about that as well so very inspirational german professional bodybuilder um he's you know like look it's been one thing after another with him uh one thing after another he was told he would never qualify for Mr. Olympia. We thought he had no chance uh, physically, mentally, all kinds of issues. A lot of people said he had a muscle wasting disease, but it, he never gave up. He's five foot nine, 230 pound competition weight, 255 in the off season. So let's kind of get into his early life and, and try to understand all the stuff that he's been through, Mobster. So. He was born in Munich, Germany. It's a very, very large city in Germany. April of 1988. Very skinny kid growing up. He was only 120 pounds, 15 years old. And um, he started to weight train as a teenager. Due to his low weight, his mother thought he had some weird disease and took him to doctors for help, including psychologists. And, you know, we see that a lot, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when, when a kid was different, you know, the parents would usually like give the kids a hard time. I know I was different growing up. I know mobster, you were a little different growing up. Everybody, you know, kids, you know, everybody's going to be different and there's nothing wrong with it, but because you're not normal and because, you know, you stand out amongst other people for something, you know, parents automatically think, wow, there's something wrong with them. But back then, they couldn't really diagnose people properly. That you know, that's why we see autism now. You see autism like shooting up now. Like two percent of all uh, all kids have autism now. But when I was growing up, mobster, it was very rare. And when you were growing up, it was unheard of. Like no, like they didn't even know what autism was. And that's why it's now. It's not that more kids are having autism. It's just that they're diagnosing more kids properly nowadays they have ways to diagnose so that's a perfect example and the thing is with autism everyone always thinks there's a lot of ignorance about it they think well if you've got autism you're retarded you can't function you're not going to get good grades you're going to be a criminal all these little things but you've got the richest man in the world now you know Love him or hate him. I mean, he's got a, there's a lot of reasons to like him. There's a lot of reason to hate him, but the richest man in the world is autistic. So you could be the richest man in the world and be a multi, multi billionaire and still be autistic. When he was growing up, he got bullied. His parents thought there was something wrong with him. Same, same story. So every kid is different. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? Accept the way the kid is and don't like the, you know, what his mom put him through. You know, look, it's typical of that time growing up in the 80s or 90s. But like, look, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to be different and there's nothing wrong with it. And any type of handicap a person has in life, I've got handicaps, mobster has handicaps, physically, mentally, whatever. It's about overcoming those handicaps and not looking them as a disadvantage, but looking at them as an advantage. And so this is a perfect example of that type of thing. I'll give you a quick example with me, mobster. When I was growing up, I had a lot of stomach problems. 
And we had to go to an emergency room like once a, once a month. We had to go to an emergency room because I was throwing up, projectile vomiting. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. Doc, you know, a doctor might say, oh, he's got something psychologically wrong with him. Another doctor said it was phys something physically wrong. They couldn't figure it out. And then they finally ran tests on me. They said, okay, he's lactose intolerant. Stop giving him dairy. So my parents stopped giving me dairy. And guess what? It kept happening. So now as an adult, I know... That it was just because I was my my um, my mom was feeding me too many inflammatory foods, okay. So when she would feed me something very inflammatory that would upset my stomach, now I know what foods to avoid. As an adult, I'm able to control my diet. But in those days, they didn't have that. The doctor didn't say avoid that food, avoid that food, avoid that food. Elimination diet. Now elimination diets are quite common, where you can diagnose what's wrong. So this is the perfect example. This is. His story kind of rubs, you know, rubs me a lot for that reason. And, um, you know, because I kind of went through the same thing dealing with doctors. Oh, there's something wrong with him. He's psychologically he's faking it or he's yeah, I'm faking projectile vomiting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. It's just fucking ignorance by uh, by people. And um, this is a perfect example of what he had to go through. There's nothing wrong with him. He's just different. And you've got to understand that, guys, out there. If you have kids, stop treating your kids like shit just because they're different than another kid. So, Mobster, yeah, chime in on that one as well. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on this one, Steve, because I understand parents, you know, being worried about their kids and wanting to make sure that they're okay. But equally, as you say, you don't have to be identical or the same as everything else. And because I'm of that generation as well, Steve, a little bit different from yourself, I would say, I don't know necessarily that we've got more people with autism. I don't think that's the case. I certainly think it's been become easy to identify, but equally there's an argument to be made uh, for people feeling almost the need. People talk about having OCD when they just want things tidy. You haven't got OCD, motherfucker. You just like make things tidy in a particular thing. You're not, if you had real OCD, you'd be going back to your front door, making sure you've locked it 15, 20 times and being late for street not just fucking, you know, rearranging the flowers and the vase so it looks beautiful and your room's perfect. That's rubbish. Equally, there's an argument to be made, Steve, that we're all something in that particular regards, high on a spectrum, low on a spectrum. You and I might have arguably an autistic trait, low on a spectrum, because it's what keeps us going to the gym on a regular basis when other people have dropped out. Some of the stuff we're talking about is the fact that human beings are ultimately herd animals. Why also we gather in great cities and only a few people in the countryside? Why do we like going to football matches and soccer matches and hockey and whatever else and being with other people that like what we like? That's a herd element. That's a herd instinct. So there's loads of bits and pieces. You and I are going to talk about something to do with the food here later on, especially because there's a couple of little uh, red flags, shall we say, that you and I discussed in the pre-show. But what I do like, and the element of Roman Fritz, for example, is there's an element of which I think you and I were kind of focusing on today with him overcoming certain situations, not once, but twice, as you said. Now, for example, you mentioned the projectile vomiting from yourself. When I was nine years of age, I had a blood clot on the brain, which could have killed me and had to go to five hospitals in one day before they finally realized what it was and so on and so forth. Obviously, anything that came up after that in the first, second, third year when I was 9, 10, 11, was a red flag for people. And of course, they start panicking, thinking there's still an issue with the blood clot in the brain. And in, in fact, it was just stuff that would have naturally happened and, you know, turned out perfectly fine, so to speak. So, yeah, a parent's freaking out is understandable. That's a parental thing. Uh, wanting your kids to fit in is a, is a parental thing. But equally, you, in order to stand out, to become Elon Musk, for example, Steve, you, you have to be set up a certain way and it has to be different from other people because otherwise we'd all be billionaires and that would be pointless we'd all be in his position which would also be pointless someone you have to have certain traits about you that are different from other people to succeed so there's an argument to be made here for you and i doing what we've done and certainly for roman to achieve the level that he's got to he has to be not just athletically or physically he has to be mentally there has to be something about him and you and i've touched on this before that makes you drive yourself to become something above and beyond what normal people are and that you didn't just wake up one day with a six packs and veins on his chest we know that so you know you need to have something that makes you different that wants you 
to get to that particular place when it's difficult, when it's tiring, when it's hard, when you're using PEDs and there might be an element of danger, all of those things, there has to be a driver there. Psychologists love this kind of stuff. Us, we just love the fact that it makes us different from other people. And of course, Roman becoming what it's become is definitely different from other people. Back to you. Yeah, and then, you know, look, it ended up, I ended up having to research nutrition a lot due to my issue. And that drove me to become a nutrition. That drove me to help other people uh, improve their nutrition, which a lot of people are very, very much, you know, it's very tough. It's very easy for someone to come to me and be like, Steve, I need help with my steroid cycle. But it's very tough for people to actually say, you know what, I need help with what I'm eating on a day-to-day basis. That's the hardest, hardest job. So this is why I love that shit. Um, in Roman's case, look, he had a chip on his shoulder because of it. Um, and during his teenage years, unfortunately, he fell in the wrong crowd and his grades suffered. So once again, his mom said, you know what? We, let's do something about it. They sent him to boarding school in 2001. And this caused him to be, uh, be extremely depressed and lonely. His only friend became the tiny and rundown weight room at, at the school he was at. Six months later, he'd been training there. He had no clue what he was doing. He gained 22 pounds anyway. So right off the bat, we know that Roman had excellent genetics. Just to throw around some weights, you don't know what you're doing. There's no technique to it. You put on 22 pounds. The thing is, it was all in his upper body because he didn't train his legs very much. So he had no clue how to eat. His diet was two bowls of cereal a day. He sought guidance from a relative on how to eat and train better. He started reading books by Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lee Haney. A few years later, he had reached 200 pounds and was competing in local shows. Go ahead, Mobster. Yep, you want to chime in? Right, so I jumped on a point here with Steve when we were discussing today's show in the pre-show. And I found it interesting. There was two kind of flags for me that made, made me sort of think, hang on, what's going on here? So he's underweight. And even people thought he had a muscle wasting disease when he was young, and his uh, mother being concerned and talking about doctors and psychologists and so on. Later, he goes to this, this private school and he's only eating two bowls of cereal a day. So there was a couple of things here, right? And Steve just touched on this when he talks about pass on information. I do. We do this podcast. Never mind what else we're doing off, off air, Steve, on the forums and, and in person. Just Friday, I was showing a local athlete and, and, and his son how to train grip. And that's just after I trained myself. You do these things all the time. You, you don't even think about it. So one of the things that comes up on the forum, Steve said, especially with younger people, and I would actually argue with Roman's case, that the information was out there. He's old enough that the internet existed, Steve, and some decent information would have been available for nutrition. You have to ask yourself why mum was worried about him being underweight. And then later, he goes all the way to private school, trains, gains 22 pounds, yet is only eating two bowls of cereal a day. So here's what I think. If mum could afford to send him to private school and to doctors and to psychologists, now that there might be some uh, German version, I don't know, German listeners could tell us, of the English NHS. I suspect it's half and half, Steve, a little bit of uh, public health and a little bit of private health. So here's the thought process. And we've seen this on the forums. There's a huge percentage of people that come onto the forums that you've helped, that I've helped, that don't eat properly, especially the youngest. And when I say that, I'm talking about late teens, early 20s. They're going to university to have what we call further education, Steve, and they don't fucking eat properly. Now, why is that? I've done voluntary youth work. Here's an argument. If mum and dad are out there working hard, in order to pay the bills, this is American society, German society, British society. They're not at home cooking you three square meals a day. If you're at school, the snacks at some schools in this country, for example, got awful. Italy's amazing by comparison. You can see videos and clips of this on, on, on YouTube and on Facebook. Properly healthy. Uh, we, we don't really have properly, we have something. We used to have something here in the UK called home economics. Which is literally you teach kids to cook and they take out little cakes for mum and dad and so on and so forth. So what might sometimes happen is you could be an amazing parent, but your child's never learned to cook. He's never stood next to you at the table when you've made a cake or peeled some potatoes for a roast dinner or whatever. And so there's no, you don't think, because it's not occurred to you, that, that you think that they know how to cook. You think they know how to feed themselves. And you go, you'll be all right when mummy's at work and they're eating shit because kids will eat shit. You know, choice bowl of cereal was dead easy to make. Milk and sugar, boom, sit down, eat, watch your TV. 
went for my mum to come up and have an evening meal. So she thinks he's underweight, but he's eating shit. She thinks he's underweight. He's having chips and, and, and cornstarch things and all this kind of stuff. Lo and behold, he goes to university. He's in a private school, which tends to be Steve, much better education than a public school, the, the one that's paid for out of the local authority and, and local taxes. It said to be a lot better and he's still eating shit. How the hell are you at a private school and you're not having the food that the private school's serving you in the canteen? You're still eating crap. So there's definitely an argument to be made for it. Unless there's some sort of food issue, he was only in really poor food. And educationally speaking, he should have been eating a lot better, both provided for him in the house and at the private school. So I think there's an element of, and we've seen examples of this, and I'm going to make sure you listeners are listening to this particular part, eat better and your gains will be better. He gained 22 pounds, which is great genetics, on the, probably the worst diet it is possible to have, Steve. So you can only guess how good his gains would have been if he'd had better nutrition. And again, you have no excuses, guys. You've got podcasts like this, a million YouTube videos with five-minute meals and apps on your phone that can follow your nutrition, that read the labels and read the barcodes on the food that you're eating so you can know how much protein's in there. You absolutely have no excuse now. And that's without meal prep companies. Eat better, your gains were better. Eat better, you'll recover from the gym quicker, and so on and so forth. So that is definitely, I'm going to bang that drum hard now, Steve. And then we're going to get into the rest of what took Roman to almost to the top and how his journey has actually been quite successful. But definitely pay attention to this part forward. All right then, guys, back to you, Steve. 2013 and 2014, he competed in his first official amateur competitions. He did well. The 2013 Arnold Classic USA Amateur, he finished third place. The IFBB Amateur Olympia Europe, Europe Prague, he got first place. His first professional competition yielded him a modest 12th place at the EVLS Prague Showdown Pro. The next year, he did better, getting fourth at the Tampa Pro. And um, we'll link in the, uh, the article, we'll link some pictures of what he looked like. Uh, this was early in his professional career, four weeks out from that competition. He looked like a fantastic monster. Another big competition he did well in was the Big Man Weekend Pro in 2018, where he got third place. Very, very impressive. For several years, Roman had to deal with lack of motivation, carpal tunnel surgery for nerve damage, and major hip surgery in 2020. All these setbacks led him to go into a deep depression. He said he could not walk without limping for a year or train the way he wanted to. And many people told him that his life was over, his career was over. Um, so that was his dark years. Um, listen, that's that's pretty horrible. I've had nerve issues in my arm as well, going down where I had like two numb uh, fingers. Um, and that was caused by a herniated disc in my neck. Uh, a combination of uh, car accidents and also a combination of weight training and uh, going really, really heavy, uh, lots of compression, not enough stretching, not, a lot, not, not enough mobility work. So this can catch up to, it's very, very common. So I have to deal with that guys as well. So I know what he went through. Um, for me, you know, I had enough um, trying to sleep at night and half your body goes numb and you're, you can't even put your arm over your head. That was a wake up call for me to, to um, get into yoga and start stretching and start increasing my mobility. That's the only way you're going to decompress the uh, the neck, the spine, and uh, give your body relief from that nerve. So, yeah, it really, really sucks. Imagine, you know, the only thing that got you out of, the, uh, out of your funk as a kid, as a teenager, the only thing that balanced you, now you can't do it. You know what I'm saying? So that, I, I completely understand his issue. So I'll bring in Mobster to talk a little bit about it. I'm with Stephen, and I'll tell you for why, right? Two things, three things, really. I've mentioned that blood clot in the brain earlier in the podcast, which could have just killed me. Uh, when my eyes started, started to go when I was 11, one of the uh, comments at the time, because it degenerated quite quickly, it slowed down afterwards. The, 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 the diagnosis was, Steve, that I'd be blind in my left eye by the age of 25. That hasn't happened. And also on previous podcasts, Steve and I have talked about this. In 2016, I did exactly what Steve had done. 
I had so much wear and tear from lifting and whatever else. I had, I'd had back spasms, I'd had days, even a couple of weeks when my back's been really bad in the past for one reason or another, just overtraining, not stretching, not resting, like Steve said. But 2016 was was the worst. And that was 16 weeks of more or less, more or less, I think 16, 17, 18 hours a day, not moving. Laying on the bed, laying on the I slept for eight weeks on the floor, uh, another eight weeks, 17, 16, 17 hours a day in bed. However, I did the rehab, I did the therapy, and I think in my mind, which helped me overcome it, and I'm going to assume similar to Steve and to Roman here, sometimes when you're told that you're going to be fucked for life, you'll, you'll have a limp for life, you'll never walk properly again, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I, that's more of sometimes a reflection, I think, Steve, of the doctors, humans, same as us, friends and family thinking, oh, it's that bad, we've seen how bad it is. Oh, my God, it's the worst-case scenario for them. And so and that's as, as sometimes it's an indication of their thinking and their mindset versus ours. So for me, and I think Steve would be a good example of this as well, I was always of the mindset that this was a blip, but it wasn't a permanent thing that was going to happen to me forever and ever, I'm in until I die. No, it was something that was incredibly painful, unbelievably discomforting, but, you know, sweating buckets, Steve, barely able to stand up, shaking, just holding onto objects to, to move around, all that kind of stuff having to lay down if I went from one floor to the next and so on and so forth. Washing washing dishes would take me 25, 30 minutes, sometimes longer, because I'd have to lay on the floor three, four, five times during the washing up and so on and so forth. And having uh, people come over and help me at the house. But it, from my mind, it was always, you will recover from this. You will get better. Now, something Steve and I touched upon in the pre-show, and I think definitely supplies to Roman, because you have to remember he'd already been training. He'd already made great gains. And indeed, he'd already started to show an indication of being a successful bodybuilder we discussed the phrase muscle memory 100 percent. we see this sometimes on the forums steve and i are a great example of this again i was i think i was 290 and i went down to 280 i'd probably lost more muscle than that i'd have probably gained some fat as well steve but on the scales i lost 10 pounds but i guaranteed there was some muscle loss and some fat gain during that time because i wasn't using those muscles crawling around the house and staggering around. I certainly wasn't in the gym. The only training I was able to do laying on the floor was squeezing uh, grippers. That was it. I couldn't do nothing else. So I knew because I'd had times before week, two weeks, but I'd have to stop training for one reason. I'm going on holiday. You come back and you gain pretty much everything you lose very, very quickly. Even in my 16 weeks, I deliberately held off from coming back and going straight into the gym. I feel great in its heart no 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 i deliberately come back at 60 percent, 70 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent and i gained back those 10 pounds i think the 10 pounds took me two weeks so you go back to 290 in two weeks uh and obviously there's a hardening up the muscle thing no muscle memory is a thing it's a thing for me it's a thing for steve and it was definitely a thing for roman it can feel like the world's worst thing that's happened to you especially when you work real real hard to get crazy strong crazy muscular like roman has to be Olympia level, top 100, top 200 in the world type physique, and then you literally can't move, you're barely able to do this, you're in pain all the time, and you can't go to the gym. And, you you know, we've seen examples. I think Gary Striden back in the day, Steve, uh, another German bodybuilder that won, won the Arnold, whose name escapes me right now, they look like tennis players. But very, very quickly, post-operation, gaining back their muscles. Some come back and competed, some retired. But they still got back a lot of the muscle that was lost, even if it was natural, not without a performance enhancing drugs, they still come back to having some muscle which was lost completely uh, during the enforced layover. So guys, trust me on this one. Been there, seen there, done it. So has Steve, and we recovered. What do you think on the muscle memory, Steve, before we carry on? Yeah, very, very important that people understand this. I'll give you two examples. Um, you know, number one, there was a study done out of Europe it was an excellent study. They did this over a long period of time. They figured out that what you do from when you're 20 years old to 40 years old will dictate the rest of your life. So if you worked out for half of those years or you know, 15 out of 20 of those years, all right, like Mobster and I have worked out pretty much cool. all of those years, right? So in our situation, let's say we get into our 50s 
or even 60s and we stop lifting weights for a few years and then we come back well guess what that muscle memory that body memory that we accumulated from 20 years old to 40 years old will be in place so we can instantly make back our muscle losses and our strength losses very very quickly it will not take long all right I mean, we don't want to do it quickly when it comes to strength and you'll end up injured, but you get my point. It can come back really, really fast. And obviously, if you get older, you're not going to be as strong and you're not going to be able to put on as much muscle. I mean, it's just wear and tear on the body. But all things being equal, same goes for your health. If you smoke cigarettes from 10 out of those 20 years or 15 out of those 20 years, whatever, once you get in your 50s, 60s, 70s, etc., even if you quit smoking, you'll end up with some type of throat issues, lung issues, something like that. So look, it's very, very important. You guys listening to this, you, you're in your early 20s or in your mid 20s. Just keep in mind, whatever you're doing now, the way you eat, the way you train, the way, you know, everything, the working out, putting hours in the gym, that's all going to benefit you as you get older or it's going to hurt you as you get older. So make wise decisions. If you drink alcohol for 15 out of those 20 years or whatever, it's going to affect you later in life. You're going to have all the different health problems that come with being an alcoholic, like liver issues, you know, like like all kinds of issues that, that contribute to the alcohol time, aging, rapid aging, skin issues, you know, all kinds of issues like that, losing your 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 hair, getting more gray hairs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all going to affect you. So this is the advantage what Roman did from when he was a teenager, you know. For, for many, many years, he was able to take a few years off, even do, though he had major injuries, and still come back. We see this in pro sports all the time. People don't understand it. They'll see their favorite player blow out an ACL, and he's gone for the year. And then he'll come back the next year and have an even better year than he did the year before. And it's like, how was that possible? It's because, ironically, the year they took off ended up helping them because they were able to rest their body by force the body has ways to make you rest rest and in this case roman probably was pushing his body so hard that his body couldn't take it anymore and it gave out on him and now he needed hip surgery he needed the carpal tunnel surgery you see so this is one of those things and now he came back and he's stronger than he was before like how the hell that happened so let's get into how how much stronger he got so initially it wasn't it wasn't there yet in 2022 he came back and he had five competitions he never finished higher than fifth place in any of them you know but that's still great you know but it's it's not great for trying to get your dream of of, of one day winning a mr olympia right now after finishing out of the top 10 at the 2022 texas pro fritz facetiously facetiously said that maybe he just isn't a good bodybuilder so right off the bat by that statement, you can tell deep down he has the confidence to make that type of statement. We see that in sports sometimes where players will say that, you know, they'll say those types of comments, putting themselves down. But really, it's just like a sarcastic you know, thing where, yeah, maybe maybe I, I'm not good. Maybe I'm not good at this. But deep down, he knew he was. Um, so a lot of people wrote him off. They said he would never make it to Mr. Olympia stage anytime soon but he proved people wrong over the next year. He busted his ass in 2023. Things rapidly started to improve for him. He finished fifth at the M pro classic and second and at the Mr. Big evolution pro in Portugal. That's not easy to do. The competition is very, very stiff. And then recently he took first place at the 2023 big man weekend in Spain, beating out Amir Omaragic. And that was huge. They can't home that trophy because by winning the men's open bodybuilding division, he's now qualified to be at the Mr. Olympia in 2023. So, Mobster, why don't you go over the qualification changes that were done post-COVID? Because, um, you know, uh, during COVID, a lot of people couldn't travel. So they kind of loosened the yeah. um, the way you could get in. So explain all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had to hit certain levels of competition in the past, Steve. And certain events were 100% Olympia qualifiers. The problem was pre-COVID, we'd had, uh, I believe, 30, 40 people that could have qualified. And I think 
I'm going to say off the top of my head, Steve, 30 people on stage at one point, uh, certainly for that and other events. And realistically, that's too much. And what's obviously happened is they were flexible because of the COVID situation, because competitions were getting cancelled, because travelling was unbelievably difficult. People that were getting, you know, invites and stuff like this. It was all over the place, Steve. And it, it was all over the place for everybody, you know, with work, with, with relaxation and everything. We was all having to make adjustments. But equally, us as fans, and I include myself and Steve again in this, we wanted to see the Mr. Olympia. So they did what they could at that time. And they just basically was a lot more flexible. In reality, as soon as you possibly could, you didn't want 30, 40 athletes on stage for the open class. You just didn't. So what they've had to do, see, Steve, they've made it harder. So, for example, if a bodybuilder fails to finish in the top three the previous year or the top five in the men's open, they have to win the show so that the points qualifications are now gone. It basically means that you get a much better quality. If a person's able to, this one thing, as me and Steve will know this, and we've discussed this on other shows, it is a, if you're at the Olympia level, Steve, in a high-level competition, it is great, right? Winning, being in the top five, top six, 100%. If your competition ahead of you is amazing, that means you're very nearly at their level. You're just one step behind. But equally, you end up with a situation of 40 athletes on stage. I think the last year's Olympia, Steve, people actually complained. Uh, there was one event that was finished at 11, 11 o'clock at night. And that's back with the 60s when they used to have bodybuilding on at one and two o'clock in the morning after powerlifting. We can't be doing that. I don't care how much you're paying. You cannot have a thing that's taken nine o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night to get through with other events in between. So they had to make it better. What that will mean, of course, is if you win a competition, you're on a level. You are worthy. You should be in that top 15, top 20 on stage at the Arnold, on stage at the Olympia, because that's how it should be. You have qualified by winning a competition, not placing, not in the top five, by winning. And it will mean a better quality. It's like anything else we do, Steve, you know, whether it's food or cars or whatever else. If you've got a car that's one in a million, whatever, you've got a car that's only 10 of them in the world, it's going to be something special. The same thing applies to that kind of level of bodybuilding. I'll talk about training there as well. Right, so training. Roman combines old-school training with modern improvements. One of his idols is Dorian Yates, the style of training, which involves keeping diaries of his workout. Look, very quickly on this, guys, we 100% encourage you to keep a diary, but we especially encourage you to keep a log on the forums because we've talked about this in other shows, how it honestly keeps you, how focused it is, how easy it is to go back. You can even use search to see what you did before. Same as I can, Steve, by flicking back through a, a physical diary, an actual piece of paper diary. What did I do last time? I'm not relying on my phone. I'm relying on my, on my memory. I can see what I did, and I will do more. Today, I've, literally before this podcast, just finished training legs. So the, the other thing, of course, is high-intensity uh, style of training, which I'll describe briefly, and on a five-day split. And I'll give you that very, very quickly, guys. So split would be day one, chest biceps, Day two, legs. Day three, rest. So that's two on, one off. Uh, and then two on, one off again. Delts and triceps on day four. Day five is back. And then day six is rest. It's actually very similar to myself, Steve. I think my, my, my will be two on, one off, two on, two off. So, and again, I train with a high-intensity style, although I'm more strength-orientated, so the weight matters as much as any muscle or whatever that I might gain. But yeah, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, basically, guys... Steve and I have talked about this on other shows again in terms of training or whatever else. And in fact, Steve's talked about just recently we did a podcast in and out of the gym in 45 minutes, Steve. And I think I've trained arms in 27 minutes. Equally, today was an hour and a half, which was actually good going because it normally takes me longer. But it was a heavy ass workout. Uh, guys, we see you, some of you, bless you, we love you. But some of you will say, I'm in the gym for two hours, I'm in the gym for three hours. I don't care, I'm a fuck. Gym owner's in longer than you are. The dog that the gym owner owns is in the gym longer than you are it's what you do when you get there and high intensity is hard it is hard and especially hard when you have to and this is a great example of this steve having to do every single thing that's possible and that last set because that's the only one that counts there's no opportunity to make it up and whatever else that stuff is brutal and if you don't think it's brutal you've only got to go back in a day and see professional bodybuilders come to the uk Go to that dungeon gym that was Temple Gym and have Dorian put them through a workout. And I can think of a few examples. 
Evan Centapani, Chris Cormier, others, spewing, coughing, looking really fucked up, Steve. So I, Roman's got it going on. And I will say, as a plus for Roman, I didn't know who the fuck he was until we thought about recording the show. And then I've seen a couple of pictures. Now, I'm not impressed by all the photographs, but two or three of them, he looks, this must be off-season in the gym pump, Steve. He's a fucking freak. He might only be five foot nine, but it's all going on. There are two free photographs that will blow your fucking mind. And I think especially when you think of Dorian's physique back in the day when he was head-fucking other uh, professional bodybuilders with his physique, Roman's got that in the gym. Oh, my God. If he could get that physique on stage, you'd be fucking, people would be crying. So if he can bring that look from the gym to the stage, Steve, he may well shake a few people up. Back to you. What do you think on that as well? Yeah, and definitely. And, um, you know, he's been he's been going around. Um, I'm surprised um, more people don't know about him yet because he's been on different podcasts and stuff. We'll get into that a bit on his social media. Um, so his social media is growing. He's got 115,000 followers. I think that number will will start going up now that he is definitely going to the Mr. Olympia. So if he if he gets a good showing in the Mr. Olympia, obviously he's going to get a lot of attention. So it's a huge, huge year for him. Um, and I think we'll be uh, seeing a lot of him this year and next year, Mobster, if he can uh, stay stay healthy. Yeah, so something that Steve's mentioned in the article, and I want to I want to talk about this as well before we talk about anything else, Steve, is uh, he's had a person he credits with showing him how to train. And I believe, uh, let me read this out to you guys because this explains it. He doesn't believe in poor technique at all and feels like it's a waste of time. One of the guys he credits with helping him in his concept is Ben Bakulski. Now, Ben, in this country, there's a company called Watson Gym Equipment who've actually designed equipment based on Ben's recommendations. He reminds me of a strength coach and a couple of other people that, funny enough, Watson, again, have created a line of equipment or I think thick-handled dumbbells based on this particular coach thing. Ben is one of those guys who is is uh, taken his knowledge to another level. He's probably up there with Mike mentioned that regards. Steve went away. I believe he's got university uh, ed- education qualifications in the physical science, in sports science, and above and beyond what he was able to create for himself, He's demonstrated, I've seen a few of his videos, demonstrated some fantastic tip-top explains, I think car phrase, like every single possible piece of information you could possibly want on how to isolate the muscle, how to get the great contraction, how to move your feet around on the block, how to get yourself underneath the pads, every single thing you could possibly think of and a little bit more because he's been out there, seen there and done it. And then obviously in his own case, produce great calves. So having this person as a mentor or a guide and having that information come to you is a great thing. So here's the thing that sometimes happens. And I, I love the fact that Roman has actually said, you know, Ben's helping with information like this. Top professional bodybuilders, as often as not, Steve, haven't got a fucking clue. I mean, we all go to the gym. We can all move weights from A to B. What sometimes happens with the genetics that they have is that they could literally probably get, you know, a pump walking the dog get a pump uh, carrying a shopping bag from the car to the house right? and and they'll get traps and veins popping and stuff like that. Genetics are unbelievable. We've all seen been around people like this to have them try to explain that they'll have some sort of vague, vague theory about what they're doing, but in reality, they could probably do anything and they'd still be muscular. When you get someone at Ben's level, who's then able to explain this to Roman and then Roman takes that information on and Dorian's another example of this went away and got books on exercise science and read them, understood them, and then applied in the most the hardest way to train is this way. The most positive results are this way. And if you work the muscle this way, you'll do incredibly well. And I can think of a few other bodybuilders that have been able to show tips. Ben's a great example of that, Steve. Uh, Flex, Flex Lewis just recently, for example, talked about when you're doing a dumbbell bench or flies or whatever else, pulling your chest up into the gap and allowing, therefore, the muscles to contract harder, which if you let the muscles sag, if you let the chest drop, and then you try to do dumbbell presses or flies, you won't get as good of a contraction. Now, for some people, that's instinctive, and that typically applies to the freaks of the world, but for other people, it's not. When someone explains the training that to you in that particular way, and and you've got great genetics, then A plus B equals a massive C. You will grow. The rest of us can benefit from that kind of information because we can learn how to do an exercise absolutely perfect 
Trust me, guys, it is real difficult to do all the time. That level of concentration, having your body in that position every single time. But over time, if you do it, and I think Steve would agree with this, it becomes, you'll do it automatically. And therefore, you will ultimately be putting yourself in the best position to grow. I like the fact that Roman is able to turn around and say that Ben was inspiring. Ben taught him how to do this. And he doesn't want to waste his time in the gym, pissing around, learning or whatever else, not knowing what he's doing. He's gone away. He's found someone who's fantastically educational, hooked into him, and has learned how to get the best out of the gym. What do you think on that, Steve, before we carry on? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree with a lot of that, buddy. Um, a lot of times it's, you know, weight training, we make it too complicated. But a lot of people, they... You, you got to keep in mind, too, when you're watching these uh, videos online, it's a, it's a show, it's entertainment. That's not how they really train. If you actually, like, you know, watch them train, it's all about it's all about working the muscle. And um, it's all about stressing the muscle. And that's how the muscle gets stronger. That's how the muscle gets bigger, you know? So I think a lot of people make too much of a big deal over you know, about weight training. And it's, it's really not that complicated. You just got to do it right. And um, we did, we did Ben, we did Pac-Man. Um, we did actually a uh, podcast about him, officer. And you guys can go back and uh, check that one out too. So, and I think I, I think I interviewed him at least once or twice back on the old podcast. So you guys can even look up those videos. So he's a, he's a pretty cool guy too. So that's good that they're, uh, they're collaborating. So, Another thing that Roman does, um, he's got YouTube. You can go on his YouTube channel and check that out. Um, and it's uh, Roman Fritz three two six zero on the on YouTube. And um, you know he does all that social media stuff. He's got po uh, pictures of himself. He reps for several supplements. He's got merchandise. He reps for apparel and training equipment as well. So he's starting to roll in those endorsements and. Um, Good for him, you know. I would like to see him uh, do well at Mr. Olympia and prove people wrong. It would be a really, really cool accomplishment. So hopefully he does it. So let's get into um, steroid use. So um, Roman has said, I watched a lot of videos on him uh, where he talks about steroids. He said he's, he's against having to do blood work to qualify for a bodybuilding contest. Because he says, let's be honest, all of us sitting here would fail just based on our liver enzymes alone. So he would like the IFBB to set up some sort of educational program that shows you what kind of blood work to look for to keep people healthy. Another idea he has is to be able to work with a clinic that has a discount code so bodybuilders can't make the excuse that it costs too much money. So we've seen you know, healthcare costs and blood work skyrocket um, over the years. Um, it used to be you could get blood work for $50, $55 and not, you know, from an anonymous clinic. Now, some clinics are charging $300, $400. So his idea is a good one. You know, make, you know, provide bodybuilders a discount code. Um, and that can kind of allow them to not have to spend all that money on blood work. They can just spend 50 bucks or 100 bucks instead of spending three, $400. You know what I'm saying? So I think that makes sense. Plus bodybuilding, most bodybuilders, look, it's a, you're self-employed. So in America, when you're self-employed versus working for a corporation, I think because we have the Affordable Care Act now in America, Mobster, and I believe in that, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not an expert on it, but if your company has a certain amount of employees, you have to provide some sort of health care. But if you are self-employed, you still fall into those into the crack of not having access to good quality health insurance. Um, so uh, that's the problem. In some states, they never expanded it. So in America, a lot of bodybuilders, let's say you're from Texas or you're from Florida, those are two states that never expanded the Affordable Care Act. So you would not be able to actually go and get affordable health care. Why they haven't expanded it is a, is a damn shame. Um, because every developed country in the world has a way for you to get access to healthcare. So this is a problem. Now, in Roman's case, he's he's German. I don't know the German, but I'm pretty sure Germany has a good universal healthcare system where you can just go to a doctor and get blood work done. But in America, it's just not like that. So a lot of American bodybuilders 
they fall into that trap where they don't have access to good health insurance. So that's just, you know, that's disgusting. But here's the thing. Whatever happens, they need to do something because a bodybuilder, if he's going to pay hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars for health care to keep his health, you know what I'm saying? He's going to be like, fuck it. I can be spending that money on steroids. Why, why am I going to have to spend all this money on uh, my health care? So there's got to be some way they can fix it. So this is one of the ideas that I'm glad he's stepping up and coming up with ideas on how to fix it um, to help prevent these unnecessary deaths that we've seen in bodybuilding. So Momster touched on that a bit. What, do you agree with him? Do you disagree with him? And then we're going to get into a steroid cycle that he could have used because he's worked with Milos Sarsev a lot. And yeah. uh, Milos is a wild man. So he's come up with some wild cycles <laughs> for him for sure. Milos is supposed to be one of those people when when you listen to him and when he explains it, comes across as a, a very knowledgeable on certain particular subjects. However, of course, it was Milos that was big on the growth hormone protocols and insulin protocols, especially back in the day. And I've seen discussions back and forth between Milos and uh, Dave Palumbo because they differ slightly in their particular approach, but they love the back and forth. And, and in fact, they enjoy the fact that they disagree, whether it's 20, 20 units of IU growth or 39 units and so on and so forth. And then Milos talks about, I believe, one of these things with growth hormone and specifically with training, funny enough, Steve, was that he would have you taking insulin, then taking in uh, applesauce or baby baby food in the form of apple, whatever, and then have you train on this so that you would get this amazing anabolic slash insulin response to the food that you were taking in training. And then he would have you do giant sets to deplete the muscle and then you'd fill it back up again and so on. So there was a lot of this back and forth. The problem is, of course, that doesn't work for everybody. And it's one of it. We, we, we listeners, us podcasters, everything, we like the idea. We discuss it to the cows come home, Steve, as we say in the UK. But the reality of the situation is, again, it doesn't work for most people. You kind of got to be lean and a freak already to get the absolute maximum out of it. And for the majority of listeners and users that use insulin, you'll just get fat. And if you get lean on, you'll get fatter off and so on and so forth. So what works in reality, it works for a small percentage of freaks who then respond incredibly well. And that's not all freak bodybuilders. That's just the people that respond in that particular way. They would do fantastically well. We, we know of one or two of the, the members on the forums that do very well on what we would consider to be high amounts of growth hormone. But the rest of us, no. With the carbotino issues, and we've seen that that, that was an issue even if for, for Roman, that probably pre-PDU, uh, Steve. So there's that. Uh, the, regarding the blood thing, yes, 100%. How that would be put into uh, effect, I don't know. In the United Kingdom with the NHS, and I think it's similar to Germany, I'd have to have a doctor on side and what I mean, an understanding person that I could work with, male or female, um, who would be happy to send me off a blood test. Can I get blood tests done privately? Yes, certainly at less than the three hundred dollars that Steve's quoted, but not pop, you know, not money that would buy me a few bags of shopping. Steve, seventy quid a pop, a hundred pound a pop, uh, and and that money could go on a lot of chicken breasts and a lot of steak. So it's that kind of situation again. Equally, we've said this on shows before. Don't tell me you can't afford to do certain things, guys, when you'll spend $1,000 on the average cycle. Uh, and that includes PCT and whatever else here in the United Kingdom. It's actually slightly cheaper in that particular way, Steve, for the UK versus, say, America for the domestic market. And then not want to get your bloods tested. There's also an argument to be made, as Roman has commented, saying, you know, that we would fail just based on our liver profile, or lipid profiles from the livers, etc. Yeah. Some of that, that ignorance is bliss until you're fucked and then it's not bliss. So I, I, I agree with the principles, the principles of if we could get it done cheaply, yes. Could we do it, for example, by being a professional member of the IFBB and then have, for example, people like you and I, Steve, and be an affiliated member so we don't have to spend the amount of money that a pro does on a pro card, but we could pay and then have a discount code that would allow us tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of users to go with one or two companies. That would work. I think they might find themselves a little bit negatively looked at in the media. And I don't mean social media, I mean the news, etc. in that they'd only be working with bodybuilders taking steroids. But equally, if a company had the balls, having 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people that are able to use your product with a discounted code, it's quite a good business model. Uh, and, you know, whether that's the same as having a full profile or whether it's just seeing if we're healthy or not, getting a score to come back, et cetera, Steve, that would be great. That would be useful. 
Now, you know, we can always pay a little bit more for the premium version. And Steve's a great one on this. You can find links on the forum to how to, what the kind of test you should ask for and then how to read your test to get an idea. And understanding, of course, that when you're on cycle, it's going to mess with your bloods. But the pre-bloods, on-cycle bloods and post-cycle bloods, and even in PCT, to see if you're fully recovered, are super, super important. And Steve and I a big thumbs up in this particular regards, as far as we're concerned, with the idea of ultimately, and not everybody feels like this, but we certainly do, having half an eye on your future health. Because what's super important when you're competing suddenly doesn't become as super important when you retire from competition and you suddenly realise that perhaps you should have been paying more attention. And now, and again, this happens a lot, Steve, as we know, you change your fucking mind. When you're in the, 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 I've been there, Steve. When you're in the midst of competition, you just want to kick ass. You want to take names and you want your name on the fucking first place trophy. And I don't think I was even as obsessed as some bodybuilders are when it comes to PED use, for example. Wasn't and, and never will be a great PED, high volume, high milligram uh, dosage type of person. And neither is Steve. But I get it. And the hunger to win and the desire to win can kind of override everything else. And we've seen the analogy which I'll just finish off on, which is the one where they asked Olympic athletes, if you took something now that would get you a gold medal, but would kill you in five years, would you take it? And a very, very high percentage of them said yes. The problem is, once they got the gold medal and retire, they said, I guarantee if they ask them the question again, which they never did, I bet the percentage was a lot fucking lower, Steve, five and ten years down the road. So that's how it is. So really, and we've seen a lot of this, especially around pre and post covid a lot more concerns, a lot more talking about looking after your health, getting blood tests. So if some company out there wants to sort of focus specifically on our community and they could do it in a way that makes it sort of viable commercially for them and uh, economical for us, then I actually think we'd have a, a surprising amount of uh, people that would be interested in taking that up. As I say, whether it's supportive for insurance or for membership of an association or whatever, it'd be great. So, yeah, that would be super, super cool. Let's have a think now, Steve, looking at this, and I'll start this off, what we think someone like Roman would use, and we're taking this into consideration with regards to his use or possible use now in 22, 23, as we record this podcast. So, for example, 500 milligrams of test prop per week. Why prop? I've mentioned this before, Steve, because it's a short-acting ester versus the longer one. Uh, and again, this, especially is the combination of what follows, would be a competitive cycle. This is the stuff that we think that he's using to get him on stage and to turn him into, and I said to those photographs earlier on, Steve, looking like an absolute fucking freak. Now, the next one, this is almost a given, and while it would be excessive for myself and Steve and perhaps some of you listeners, it wouldn't be excessive for a stage competing athlete, and that is 1,200 milligrams a week of Trembolone Ace. Ace, again, short-acting, Steve, as we know. And one more from me. And this will be high dose for anybody, I think, Steve. But again, an, a stage competing bodybuilder. It's also a slightly longer ester. 1,000 milligrams of mastoid in amphate per week in uh, total. And of course, that would be split up into several doses. What do you think on those, Steve? And then comment on the next couple. Yeah, and you see there's a reason why. Um, I've talked about this on other podcasts, why you see short esters. They love short esters, bodybuilders. It allows flexibility. It allows them to do things that, you know, it, it allows them to do things in their cycle. If they need to change something, it allows them to start and stop things because they're in and out of your system much quicker. Um, example, Tren Ace is going to be in and out of your system much faster. It'll be out of your system in a week and a half. If things aren't going well with it, you want it out of your system week and a half. If you're running the Tren Enanthate, it's going to be in your system weeks so five, six weeks even, it'll be in your system, especially at those dosages. You're going to have a lot in your system four or five weeks later. So you must have that flexibility as a competitor. With testosterone, you don't want that in your system on competition day. You want it out. You want to be as dry as possible. If you, if you look fluffy, you're not going to do well in the competition. Master on 1,000 milligrams using anything. Now, why master on anything? Because it's a hardener. As long as you're getting legitimate master on and it's not faked or something, then you're good to go. And there's no, no disadvantage of being hard. Going into the competition, prior to competition, you want to be as hard as possible. That's why they use master on mobster. Another one, Decadurabolin. Now, 
This one is a little different. A lot of guys in America like to mess around with equipoise nowadays. A lot of equipoise. But I think the European crowd, they they don't they're not scared of DECA the way the Americans are. They'll run DECA to get some size on their frame. And DECA is a very, very good one for that. It increases your appetite. This is something that Roman has probably had a problem with his whole life. It's just the way he's programmed. And look, Deca helps with that. And it's a great, great addition to the cycle. You just got to kind of time it right. Another one is Halo, 25 milligrams of Halo. Halo is an oral steroid. It is a hardener. It is going to help you with strength. The way he likes to do his workouts, um, if he's going to go high rep or he's going to go low rep, Halo is there for you on the low rep because of the increase in strength. So you can go heavier weight, low rep, or you can go heavier weight, high rep, and Halo will help you with that. So you can give really some some tension to that muscle, um, throwing in that oral there. I'll let Ian Mobster. And then one more oral, too, is Anavar, 125 milligrams. Great hardener. Side effects are, are much more minimal than Halo, so you're going to be able to run a lot more. It does a really, really good job of vascularity, fat burn, that type of thing. So um, it'd be a good option for that. Mobster, jump in. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, Halo is a harsh, harsh drug in and of itself, Steve, 100%. Uh, and of our back and Prowson is a lot milder, although he is running, or we, we are suggesting that he's running a much higher dose than would be normal. The normal being 50 milligrams, for example. That's optimal for pretty much every listener. Why are these two drugs? Something I said in a previous show when we were discussing another athlete and his potential PED cycle was this. Are you ready? It's it's keeping the strength. Something that happens when guys cut down for competitions and try to get in condition is you can lose strength, and if you lose strength, lose muscle. And this is perfectly normal. You're having less calories, less intake. Training is a real grind. And lots and lots of athletes, we see this all the time, Steve. They look absolutely fucking amazing in the gym a few weeks out. And as the last bit of body fat goes, muscles take on a weird shape. And some part of that is literally them losing muscle or muscle tone. So you're going to have these guys that have 19 and 20 inch arms, and now it looks like it's 14 or 15. I've seen a bunch of those, Steve. So why Halo and why Anivar? Because it keeps the strength levels up. Again, I'll quote Dorian Yates, and that is, you could never understand why people change the training that put the muscle on to high repetition because obviously the diet was hard and then lose, lost some of that hard-earned muscle that they gained and spent all year putting on five pounds, 10 pounds of new tissue, only to lose six pounds of that new tissue as you went into the, into the competition. So Anavar and Halo, keep the strength fire, which means you should be able to train just as hard, which means you should keep as much of that muscle as possible. Will you lose some? Yes, but the least amount possible. Some muscle loss is fine, guys. But why do we want to, and this applies to anybody competing, you try to keep as much of that muscle as possible. Of course, the issue here, and I think more with Halo than anything else, Steve, is Halo. I wouldn't want to run it for any long period of time. I, Funny enough, I have tried it, got next to nothing out of it. It's a great one, for example, increasing aggression. is a huge favorite of the powerlifters, but it's an, it is a harsh oral. So it's going to be up there smashing the fuck out of your lipids and your liver profiles and whatever else. Right. One more then from me, 12 IUs a day of HGH. That's actually not that bad for a professional bodybuilder. And I think we kind of justify this on the basis of how he looks, how he responds, the issues he's had in the past, and again, the modern type thing. So what did we see a couple of years ago, Steve? 30, 40 units. And again, that thing for Milos that we talked about, that was a minimum, I believe, off the top of my head. Again, 20, I might be wrong. We're seeing less. Why? Again, and we know this because he's actually had this as an issue. He actually has, as I think we talked about it earlier in the podcast, with what felt sounded like a carpal tunnel issue, Steve. And and again, guys, I'll, I'll quote this. Ideal optimal from pretty much every person that's listening to this podcast is the equivalent of five IUs every other day. In other words, a daily equivalent of 2.5 IUs. Much above that, you might have issues with carpal tunnel. However, and again, 
I believe this would be the case here, Steve. You're a competing bodybuilder. It's that high level of competition. You're already a genetic freak. And again, it's for a short period of time. Growth hormones typically run for months and months at a time to get the best out of it. This would be for 16 weeks of the year. And I would hope and trust that it was a lower level for the rest of the year if it was used through the rest of the year. I'll do one more, Steve. And again, this is actually moderate. And again, because he's talked, spoken to and worked with Milos in the past, seven I use a day of insulin. And Steve and I have touched on this in other shows. This should be ideally timed around either the training or the food. It shouldn't just be taken randomly, guys. This is something guys, that's super important, but I think it applies to both growth hormone and Steve. And I'll let Steve jump in here. Timing and use of these things should be according to a proper approach. If you're going to use it, if you're going to do it, if you're going to see how you respond to it, follow the fucking protocol. Do it properly. Follow the advice that you're given. The guys, getting hold of it and, and, and spending the money on it, and to my mind, not doing that is a kind of waste. And that's if you're assuming you've got the good genetics and we respond successfully in this particular way. So we, so we got the, the logic happens all the time, Steve, and we're probably going to touch on this in a bro science uh, podcast. When we talk about, oh, if six works, 12 better. If 12 works, then, then 18 is going to be amazing, and so on and so forth. Here is a great example. If he's only using 12 IUs a day, that's actually a low amount for a professional bodybuilder, and it's much, much closer to what you and I would probably agree would be a good protocol for a high-level competing athlete like himself. What do you think on that, Steve? Yeah, it's a necessary evil. Uh, HGH, look, it's expensive. That's the main issue. Uh, when it comes to this type of protocol, using HGH, using insulin, they they go off of each other. Very, very important. Um, but HGH is not cheap. And competitors, the thing is, HGH is different than anabolic steroids. HGH will, will split and grow the cells. But um, anabolic steroids will just grow the cells. So there's no splitting. So if you really become uh, to, to that level, Mr. Olympia, you're going to be on the Mr. Olympia stage. You're going to have to use HGH. You're going to have to have a way to shuttle in those nutrients in the body. You're going to have to use insulin as well. So another thing, aromatized inhibitors would be important here. He is using the testosterone and the DECA. You're going to need an AI there to kind of control the uh, estrogen. DMP and CLIN and diuretics can all help give them more lean look and more, uh, you know, get them cut up. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not a cheap uh, cycle, guys. I mean, and it's a lot of different things. But look, they're doing so much stuff. It's it's chemical warfare out there to try to compete against each other, and um, yeah, and 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 that's how it goes. I mean, there's really not much you can you can do to prevent it. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, it's about you know, it's what's it going to come down to? It's going to come down to genetics. It's going to come down to luck. It's going to become come down to timing. It's going to come down to can you kind of build yourself up ahead of time, and then cut down into the competition gone are the days where competitors used to be already cut and they bulk up going into the competition this isn't the 60s and 70s anymore here nowadays everybody is big okay being big is not the hard part it's cutting down into the competition being ripped you know the conditioning that's going to be the important thing for these guys so look we'll have to see how roman does um and uh, over the next couple of years, can he stay healthy? Can he stay on track? And uh, hopefully he does well, but there's a lot of competition out there. So look, at the end of the day, if he can get top 10 at Mr. Olympia Mobster, I would be so impressed if he get top 10. That's, that would be a hell of an accomplishment. So final thoughts, Marty, and take us in the disclaimer. Steve, I've looked at the photographs, looked at the kind of training, looked at what he's had to overcome. He's one of those guys that you want to see succeed. The photographs that I've seen especially caught my eye. As I said, for whatever reason, he hadn't registered my radar. So obviously, pre-show research, you go off and look. And even on Facebook, for some reason, it came up and you think, wow, 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 wow. Gym lighting, maybe, you know, underneath the, the goon light, whatever it's called, Steve, uh, in the gym, pumped, looking full and vascular. And, uh, yeah, I was one of us. <laughs> if you can bring that look to the stage, and, again, bearing in mind he's had to overcome, guys, how he's had to succeed, 
the, the issues that you had earlier in his life, even, and I touched on this before, Steve having to educate himself when it comes to the diet and so on and so forth. And, and even without that was making great progress. When it all comes together, when, when nutrition's on point, when training's on point, when you've already got the issues with your body out of the way, and here you are representing and starting to make a name for yourself, it bodes well for the future, Steve. So, guys, it could be one to look out for. And, uh, yeah, learn from his mistakes, eat better, training exactly how it needs to be done, no fluff, no bullshit, get out there and get it done and show us yourselves. Give us your comments, give us your feedback, let us know who you'd like to us to do uh, profiles on and see what you think about that. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcast of informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment.